Welcome to the Mind Your P's and Q's podcast with Mind Your Manners Mediation. I'm your host, Attorney Abby Godless, chatting with you about important family law topics and giving you tips for navigating Arizona divorce and custody. Let's get chatting. Welcome back to another episode. We are at the tail end of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This episode is releasing October 25th. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And while I did have other episodes, uh, just the order that they were planned, this wasn't earlier in the month, but I definitely did not wanna leave you without any episodes devoted to the theme of the month because when I am on top of looking to when a certain episode is gonna actually release, I really try to do my best to consider if and what theme that month might have so that I can try to impart knowledge on those topics in a timely and again, the reason the theme is out there to make sure that some of these really hot button items do get discussed. So today we are going to discuss that just because you have a history of domestic violence does not mean that you are going to be automatically precluded from pursuing one of the alternatives to litigation that we've chatted about. I've mentioned this before and you'll hear me say it numerous more times in all the different DV episodes I have or may release. No DV is created equal. It looks different to each and every family who unfortunately experiences it. While we do all tend to focus on violence between the intimate partners, domestic violence is the broadest version that really hits any family member who is using violence and other coercive tactics against any other family member. And that frequently can be the intimate partners themselves. But just remember that DV is the broadest version of familial violence. And so if DV isn't the same across the board, why should the solution be the same? And why should it be that your only solution is, again, kind of what we said last episode, monopoly rules, don't pass go, don't collect 200 straight to court. That's nonsensical. And so when I am teaching other professionals on the DV topic, again, just in the most broad sense, I really emphasize that the controversy isn't, should we use an alternative where DV is a factor? The question should really be reframed to how can these divorces or custody matters be safely mediated, arbitrated, gone through the collaborative process, etc.? And the other thing that I really strive to really overemphasize with the other professionals I teach is that because DV isn't equal across all families and because we're working to reframe the question from should we use these alternative processes to how do we safely use them? Any and all professionals that you go to for help really need to be constantly seeking information. That information is going to get at all the nuances of your family's specific DV experience. And that is going to allow the professionals to accurately assess and gauge the appropriateness of an alternative process. Because DV isn't equal, sometimes the information that comes out suggests that certain alternatives will work better than others. 
at the end of the day, there will also be times where that DV screening measure or that conversation that's getting at the details, that it does come out that a case and the specific DV that that family has gone through is not appropriate for an alternative process. In those times that the case truly requires the formalities and other protections that only court can offer, you know, sometimes that just has to be what happens. And thankfully, as we've discussed, DV or otherwise, court is always going to be there if your alternative or preferred route doesn't work out. That all said, for the cases where an alternative process is not precluded, you do still need to ensure that you're finding the right pros who really have the training and experience to safely and successfully work with you. These need to be the people who know that they need to be extra curious and constantly seeking info. They are the people who know all the different safeguards that they can tailor the process to your needs. That they will know if there is a line where it becomes unsafe to continue the alternative and a pivot to court does need to occur. The other reason for this is because if you seek an alternative because your DV is not some of the most extreme and egregious, and you go in and you're working with professionals who are not trained, who don't have experience, they can inadvertently do more damage and really worsen the harm that is already occurring when DV is a factor. The flip side of that is when conducted properly, when you find the professionals and the best alternative for your circumstances, these processes, when it is conducted properly, these processes can be supportive, empowering, and enlightening. And that's on both sides of the aisle. That's the victim, that is the abuser. Litigation, of course, as we know, is inherently adversarial. And so right from the jump, litigation is going to be more destructive because by virtue of how litigation works, it is reinforcing the factors that contribute to the abuse in the first place. Mediation, collaborative process, all these alternatives can be customized. Each one has a general flow and process, but they're all able to be tailored and have more flexibility than court hearings and heading to trial. And specifically, the processes can be tailored in ways that don't just keep everyone safe, but really helps to ensure the psychological strengthening of the survivor and also gets at rehabilitating the offender. On that note, you can see how there would be times an offender truly can't be rehabilitated. And so how would one of these alternative processes where you're really stepping up and doing the hard work and heavy lifting and getting creative and owning these agreements, that just wouldn't work. That's the time where you do go to court. But otherwise, there are the right pros and the right approaches to safely and successfully seek alternatives even when DV is a factor. And we actually did already touch on at least one version of customizing this process. It was when we discussed the different mediation styles and we chatted about the Mead Collab style that was specifically developed 
four cases where DV is an issue. And we chatted how in this version, you are really combining all the best parts of mediation and collaborative. You have a lot of quality professionals in the room to help you and to really structure the process in a way that ensures the safety, works to heal the victim survivor in hopes it will also do some of that on the offender side because you're strategizing which other professionals to bring in and it just really safeguards the process and the people. We discussed here how it does follow the what's called the Lego model and it's just like Legos that we all played with. You start with the base and in this scenario that is the mediator and a lawyer for each of the spouses or partners and you build upon what your family and circumstances actually require. You don't add all the pros right up front just because a financial person and a psych person and a this and a that and whoever else should be involved. No, you think about what does this scenario require? Let's add only those people. We're not just trying to throw extra humans in the mix. The other reason this one can be so successful is because you will frequently bring in some form of psych pro who can either be in the room during the process or perhaps there's agreements that certain counseling or classes will occur where you're working with those psych professionals outside of the main Mead Collab process. And the other reason this one can be so successful is because you don't just have the mediator who is really helping guide the process and just ensure that things are moving forward and that things are going smoothly, that communication is not breaking down. It is also, like I just said, the other immediate players that are for sure going to be part of that Lego build are the attorneys for each of the parties. This is going to both protect the victim survivor because they have kind of this buffer support, but it can also, like we mentioned in that other episode, it can also, for the exact opposite reasons, be a similar safeguard for the offender. That attorney can help keep some of the potential outbursts in check, can have perhaps a better, closer repertoire for the times where certain recommendations need to be made. They might be more persuasive or more trusted in the eyes of the offender. And so that is one just specific example because it's a clean example that I can give. But beyond the Mead Collab style, just other adaptations can be made. This is also getting at if during the DV screening, if during the different conversations where info is coming out, if it does come out that there's violence amongst and between other members of family, number one, you have a better chance at getting that out in the open in the first place when you're litigating, litigating attorneys in the court don't always do as good a job or truly be constrained by time and other resources where they are on the, you know, much faster track of making moves. When you're in one of these alternatives, we said this for other reasons time and again, you just have more freedom in the time and the space 
space to get the info out and then creatively and appropriately and safely address the specific nuances and details that come out. And this is likely to be ongoing because all of these alternatives are very talk-heavy processes compared with court. But even if there is an order of protection in place, there are ways to conduct these alternatives that both get at the information to know how agreements need to be adapted, that helps determine if and what modifications to this alternative process need to be made, ensure that if the quote-unquote right details come out that the alternative process will get shut down and at that point it's clear that the violence is of a nature that only court can address. So first we're going to chat modifications to the facility. This doesn't have to be anything bigger process-wise than just focusing on what small changes can we make about where we are conducting the mediation, arbitration, collaborative process. In the kind of light end of things, sometimes just having a very spacious conference room where the parties can really be on opposite ends and be pretty unencumbered to dip out the door if needed. The conference table itself is going to be one of those really long, you know, I don't think with conference tables it's considered banquet length, but you can picture the conference table that would be in this large conference room. And so even just the kind of imposing table can be a physical barrier. It would be beyond arm's length because again, long table, big room. But of course, this is some of the least adaptations, right? So depending what the specifics of the DV that come out are, or if there is an order of protection in place, including whatever details that it is ordering the offender to not do, then sometimes just putting you in a big room with a big table isn't good enough. So what are some other options? Well, definitely make sure that whatever location you choose has very clearly marked exits, You may also consider, is there a way to utilize separate entrances? Hopefully that would also be one of two scenarios. Either you are put right away into your own separate rooms or that along with the separate entrances, they have separate waiting areas. Because again, in these times, the goal is to keep the parties apart as much as needed or as required by the order of protection. You will definitely also want to make sure that if it comes out that there's the potential for weapons, that there are metal detectors, not just there, but that actually work. And the opposite end of the, where we started with the light end of the spectrum, getting to the opposite end, there may be times where you just have to go fully virtual. And thankfully, pre-COVID, there were already certain professionals using video conferencing. But certainly now that we have seen the pandemic through its true height, we have very easy ability to consider a fully virtual process if needed. You can also modify the process in ways that aren't necessarily using other specific structures the way the Mead Collab is its own style of mediation. These are like the facility modifications. These are just more general modifications that can be made to the processes. 
First and foremost, your professional likely already has some ground rules they use across the board, but these ground rules can be tailored for any specific couple, but especially for the violence. It can include things like restricting certain topics that they won't be discussed. It might be limiting the topics that can be brought up. The abuser may be really focused on wanting to negotiate things that will allow them to retain some of the power, such as wanting to negotiate dropping abuse charges, modifying or quashing an order of protection. And so the ground rules may be saying, okay, we're not gonna fully forbid this topic, but it needs to be limited to X, Y, and Z specifics. It can also involve requiring the parties to participate in the appropriate counseling or other support forums. That would be some of the outside the main session work, but it would be part of the agreement for how the main process would be allowed to continue. Another way you can modify the process is to implement a safety plan. This should be tailored for the facility generally and to the extent you're within the same specific room, whatever level of detail needs to be required, but it should be focused on making sense for the situation in front of you. It can also involve the way we discussed using separate entrances. You can also schedule that the parties arrive at staggered times. It may be saying that there will be someone who walks each party from their vehicle to the main building where the mediation, arbitration, whatnot is being held. And also ensuring that you're safely returned to your car after the session is held. Another thing to keep in mind when this safety plan is being discussed and created is that because you know your family best, if you know details that the professional isn't yet aware of, keep in mind that you want to voice the things that may be unsafe for the others involved beyond just the intimate partners themselves. By that, I mean the safety precautions that you're coming up with, they're got to be there to protect everyone. So whether that's general staff, the main legal psych financial pros, it obviously is very much the parties themselves, but for the offender, they may see the professional, including the staff that is just greeting, let me show you to the conference room, etc. It can be the full professional, it can be the general staff, but the abuser may see these individuals as trying to take some of the control that, as we know, the abuser is so desperate to hold on to. Moving away from modifying the process, something else that can be done, another of the kind of specifically structured alternatives would be called either therapeutic mediation or impasse directed mediation. It is more frequently referred to as therapeutic mediation and is then more highly developed into the impasse directed mediation. And so they are slightly different terms, but they are still referred to the same broad process. And this style of mediation is geared to parties who are involved in really contentious, extra-violent relationships. These are the times where the parties have had threats of homicide that in the DV screening, lethality factors were brought to light. And these couples require intense education and intense counseling. 
this style of mediation is not meant to transform the abusive relationship because if the goal is to create a cooperative endearing relationship when some pretty extreme violence has occurred that's just kind of living with your head in the clouds that's not likely to be reality unfortunately and so the goal here is to reduce what is happening mitigate what is happening and create a situation where the intimate partners are able to communicate. At the most basic level, that's the goal. The parties do need to be willing to do the work, attend the classes, whatever counseling that is going to be required, or they're not going to qualify because mediation won't work if each of the parties is very stuck in their respective polarizing positions. The classes and therapy that are going to be required will need to concentrate on really getting the parties to stop focusing on their own emotional agenda and pivot that focus to the actual issues at hand. The actual, how do we meet the needs of our kids? Obviously, that structured process goes to a very specific subset of couples and cases, but kind of backing up to some other more general ways that you can make sure that whichever alternative process you're pursuing is safe and likely to be successful. There is the potential for shuttle mediation. This is the time where each party is in their own separate room and the mediator is going from one room to the next. And it ensures that while you are in person over a full virtual option, at the same time, you are never physically in the same room. You, depending on the specifics of separate entrances or staggered arrival times, you are hopefully not even having to see the other person, but it is a more separated arm's length version of mediation. Of course, beyond the video mediation, another way you can adapt a virtual mediation, because if you're virtual, you're gonna be on camera. There are kind of two additional ways you can adapt this. First, you can actually do a telephonic mediation where you're not on video, you're on a classic conference call, but this would for sure preserve the victim survivor's physical safety. They're, the parties are not in the same location. They're not gonna see each other. Two things can occur. One, it may be awkward being truly on a call with no visual cues, and that can be a detriment for several reasons, but also knowing that the abuser is still on the same call, even that can be a compromise when we've discussed that the goal of these alternatives are really to balance the power, and this can not be helping that. So the other way that you can adapt a virtual mediation would be to combine the shuttle and the virtual. Zoom has breakout rooms. Each party can be put in their own breakout room and the mediator can virtually move between the rooms. That wraps up the bread and butter of the episode, but I do have a couple last comments that I wanna finish off with. First, at the end of the day, whatever professional or professionals that you choose to work with, their goal should always be to respond to the effects of the DV that has occurred in your specific situation. 
That means they want to respond directly to the harm that has resulted from the violence and either directly or through the use of referrals to other professionals, they should also work to correct some of that harm and not only focus on what has already occurred and that allows them to also then work towards minimizing the occasion for ongoing abuse. So their goals are past and future focused. Let's get you back on par right now so that we can come up with ways to reduce the violence and heal the harm going forward. The true last comment I have is actually a comment that the American Bar Association's section of dispute resolution, they have a committee on mediator ethical guidance. And in August of 2019, that committee had a, what I thought was really astute and interesting point. And they released some guidance that basically said that while mediators have both a duty of impartiality, as well as in times where there is a history of DV, they also have that duty of safety. And throughout the process, they are working to promote this safe and voluntary process, but that potentially could give the perception that they have some partiality towards the victim survivor. And there are certainly techniques that the professionals can learn and practice and use that minimize the appearance of partiality. Because remember, it's not that they actually are partial, they are trying to rebalance the power. And so, so the safety precautions will appear to tip slightly heavier towards the victim survivor. That's just trying to balance things. That's not actual partiality. At the end of the day, with or without those techniques, the safety of the participants, the voluntariness of the mediation process, it has to take precedence over impartiality. This also means that the professionals you are choosing should be aware of the nuances in the laws that either permit or require them to break confidentiality. Even if they are permitted and they are allowed does not mean that they should. There could be more repercussions if they break confidentiality and shut down the conversation because they are allowed to disclose something. If they can find a safe workaround to get over the hump and get the conversation back on track when it is a permissive and not a mandated, then there is a better chance at success. Even when there's no violence, there's going to be stumbles that you have to work through. So this is an intensified version of that, but it gives you the analogy to show that you don't wanna to go to the professional that at every small thing, at any chance that they can report something that they do. That's not helpful to these situations. So with that, I just encourage you to take stock of any violence that may have occurred in your situation. Seek out professionals who have the training and experience in this area. Interview them. 
really ask them questions that get at some of the things we've discussed to know if they would be right for you. They should be asking you lots of questions back to know if your situation is appropriate and to get the information needed to make any tailoring and modifications to ensure that it is set up for safety and success. But do know that just because violence has occurred in your circumstances, this does not immediately mean you can't consider an alternative. Unfortunately, it may come out that your case is not suited to an alternative, but that's only determined after getting to the heart of things, after getting detail to come out. I thank you for joining me for this DV-themed episode, and I'll be back with a less heavy topic on our next Odd Wednesday. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to stay in the know. Any links mentioned and all credits and permissions can be found in the show notes. I'll catch you in our next episode.